Well, good morning, Grace Community. Uh, it's great to have you guys here. Thank you for being here. We're looking forward to the time together. Man, fantastic. You know, I think maybe the second service might be our best looking service. Maybe. Maybe. Okay? Don't let it go to your head. No, but seriously, we are very grateful just for you just uh, investing the time with us. We trust that the time that you invest this morning, you'll say you are really, really glad that you are here. We are grateful to have you be a part of it. My name is Paul, one of your pastors here, and we're looking forward to this the time that we have this morning. We're going to continue on in a series that we're in, which I hope you have found helpful. And today we're going to get really pragmatic on a number of things, so hopefully you uh, can appreciate that. We're in the middle of a series called Identity recovering our true selves. I want you to consider this for a moment. When we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Jesus, what we're ultimately talking about are the implications of a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. All right? In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 22. He said, it all comes down to this. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in other words... What happens in the vertical with my relationship with God should have a profound effect on what's going on on the horizontal with my relationship with other people. This should make a big difference. The implications is something that should be felt. The implications is something that should be regularly experienced. And so that also means that my relationship with God, as it progresses, my relationship with people and those around me should be progressing as well. And so that's why today our specific title that we look at as we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, is God's work and man's response. And my hope for you today is that you leave here a little bit more encouraged, a little bit more equipped and a little bit more excited as it comes to you understanding all the great implications that you share because of your salvation in Jesus Christ. There's riches to be had there, and oftentimes we have failed many times to recognize those. And though we've really enjoyed our part through Philippians so far, particularly last week, we uh, considered some great truths earlier on from chapter 2. Today we're going to get a little bit more pragmatic. We want to talk about really how do we experience every day, day in, day out, salvation's impact. How do we really see those relationships actually get improved. You know, check it out. God says to us later, later on in chapter two, what his intention is for you, what his intention is for me. It's as if there is a black velvet backdrop to life. And from that black velvet backdrop, so deep, so dark from the middle of that shines out points of light, shines out stars, shines out his salvation that he's placed in my heart from you. Now, do we shine because we're so great? No, we shine because of the goodness of God and what he's given to us. Because of that rich treasure that we have in him. And he causes that to shine out. You see, we've been made rich. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are wealthy beyond your imagination, spiritually speaking. 
God has given you all the riches, and yet many times we fail to access the key to those things. It's as if it's all locked up safe in a safe, and we just can't get to it. It's like we're missing the key. You know, in fact, a little bit ago, a few weeks ago, I came across this story in my newsfeed. True story. You can check this out. Um, but I think it really kind of spoke to what we're talking about today. Apparently, there was one gentleman in the UK, and he was an early investor in Bitcoin. You know what I'm talking about? Cryptocurrency. So funny money that in the end doesn't turn out to be all that funny because it's actually worth something. Right? So, so these folks that had invested in this early on really made out well. As it turns out, he had invested very early on. In fact, the actual term to that is that he actually did cryptocurrency mining. Okay, And the cryptocurrency key, which was tied into all his holdings, was an electronic key that he had put safely on a, uh, just a hard drive. Right? And this was done years ago. He kind of forgot about it, truthfully. And so he had it on a hard drive. It was in his office. And one day he was cleaning out his office and he was just was going through stuff. And he came across these hard drives. And actually, there were a couple that were identical one to another. And he remembered one had the, you know, whatever he had worked on in terms of kind of his hobby horse of cryptocurrency stuff. And the other one was sort of just a, a had bits and pieces of data. It was not a reliable drive. And so he purposed, I'm going to throw out the drive that's not reliable, right? I'm going to get rid of it. I'm just going to kind of clean things up. <clears throat> so he had two identical drives. He threw out one. You know where this story is going, Right? Okay? You know which one he thought he threw out, and you know which one he actually threw out. You, you've heard about buyer's remorse? Well, well this is cleaner's remorse. Right? So he had like kind of just pitched that. And then again, he hadn't thought about it. More time goes by, and then he recalls, he remembers that investment that he had, and he starts checking into things and other supporting documents, and it turns out he actually had like, like a lot of money. Like a lot like with a B kind of money, billions of US dollars worth of cryptocurrency, or at least a billion, I believe is what it was. And so, as you can imagine, that was a really ill-fated day when he recognizes the key is gone. He even requisitioned to try to get into a landfill. It wasn't going to happen. And still to this day, he doesn't have access. And sometimes we feel that way too. Because here's the thing. A lot of times, for those of us who've been coming to church, we understand these great theological, at least, truths that we've heard. We've been made rich. We have all this stuff. We have this great salvation. And yet we fail to access the benefits of that. And so what we're going to try to do today is we're going to try to keep things really base for you in terms of far as for understanding how this great salvation, how the implications work. But I'm going to need your help doing it, okay? I'm going to need your help. So you're going to actually need to be involved in this process some this morning. So if you're here, the answer is yes, Paul, I will be involved, all right? So that's what you want to say. And uh, what we're going to do here in just a moment, if you came with someone, this was easy. You're going to turn to this person. If you didn't come, to a per- come with a person, you're just going to turn to a person near you or across an aisle. That's acceptable too. And I promise if you hang with me, you'll understand how this applies to where we're headed. So you're just going to have to trust me. But what I would like you to do to that person that you came with or to the person that is just somewhat nearest you in just a moment, I'm going to have you turn to that person and I'm going to have you say, I'm really glad you're here. And then you're going to smile. Okay? Just like that. So, 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 so one, one, one caution here. Do this in a non-creepy way. 
Okay? So let's leave creepy off to the side. And please, don't do this in a mechanical way like, "Ah, the pastor's making me do this, so therefore... No, 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 no. You're going to summon up genuineness here, all right? And you're going to turn to that person and you're going to say, it's really glad, I'm really glad you're here. It's good to see you. And then, even if you have a mask on, you're going to smile. They can see the wrinkles on the side of your head, okay? They know if you're smiling or not. All right, so go ahead and we'll do that right now. Okay, okay, just one person, you social butterflies. Very good. Okay, now, the person that you just spoke to is going to respond back. That's the next thing that's going to happen, okay? That person, in a, in a very, in a very non-self-absorbed, non-narcissistic way, you're not going to say, it's good that you can see me too, you know? Not, we're not going that way. You're going to say, no, it's actually good to see you too. I'm glad you're here. Ready? So go ahead and do that right now. Okay, really good. Listen, we're, we're going to draw the lines that as far as for the pragmatic basis of this great salvation we have, how it's supposed to, in the end, amount to overflow of heart that affects my relationships, even those that are just setting right by, and the richness that I have in Jesus, how that should affect what I do every single day. So let's go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We'll also put the scripture for you up on the screen. But Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be starting with verse 12. Starting with verse 12. And that starts here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. We hear this first word. It says, therefore, we're going to stop right there. Anytime you come to your scripture study and you come to the word therefore, you should be asking yourself this question, what is it there for? In other words, it's connecting what was spoken and was talked about before we head on to the future. So we're going to pause for a moment and take a look at that. Now, last week we had a great message by Pastor Jason. If you were here for it, you heard something about uh, cinnamonless cinnamon rolls and all sorts of other great things. If you didn't, I'd recommend go ahead and listen online when you can. Some good stuff there from earlier on in chapter 2. But we're going to reference what I would say is the key verse from that time last week, which was found in verse 5. So let's go ahead and look at that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, the way the NIV renders this, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, here's a question, though. How do you have the same mind of Jesus when you feel like you're losing yours? Right? When, when everything's going around you, something's going well, maybe there's incredibly good things going around, and you're like, wow, I, I'm a, you know, this good thing's going around, but it's hard to focus sometimes on what's most important, or maybe there's a lot of bad things going around. Maybe you didn't have such a great week, and a lot of things are just crowding out into your heart and mind. How do you have the same mind of Christ Jesus when you feel like you're losing yours? And well, to do that, let's keep on reading here in this first part of chapter 2. It tells us exactly what, in fact, Jesus did for you and for me that helps answer that question. 
Have this mind in yourselves, in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, you might remember that's a reference to those cinnamonless cinnamon rolls, or probably more appropriate, sinless cinnamon roll, in the form of God, or who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of a man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so we're going to summarize this up, what happens here. First of all, we have God. Not like God, not just a remote aspect of God, in the very form of God, who was in very nature God, became a servant. Who then, what we hear is that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And the result is that God exalted him. He gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every tongue confess, every knee should bow before him. So here's the implications of some of these things. If that is the case, if my identity at its core is really tied with Jesus Christ, if that's what's true about me, if I was buried in the likeness then, in a sense, of his death, I was also raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And so what that means for you and what it means for me, if I am walking around on a daily basis with my head slumped down, my arms forward, as if I am something less than a son or a daughter of the king, then I have the wrong core perspective that needs to be repented of. Because what the scriptures make very clear is that you and I are then tied to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, if he is victor, we too are victor. The scriptures make it plain where it says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. So our identity at its core, if you see yourself as someone who's so wayward backwards and going the wrong direction, you're seeing yourself fundamentally against the truth of how the Lord Jesus sees you, how, how God sees you. Because he sees you as what the scriptures tell us, if we are in an identified with Jesus as the firstborn among many brothers. The way he looks at Jesus, and this should blow your mind, is the way he looks at you. And you can say, but that's not what I see. And that's why you need to change what you see for what God says he sees. Fundamentally for us as we're moving forward, you've got to understand God sees you as victor. Let me ask you a question. How do victors behave? How do they behave? Now, had the Kansas City Chiefs actually won this past week, which they didn't, but had they, then I can assure you Pastor Jason would be acting differently. But he's rightfully holding his head in shame. But, but because victors, victors hold their heads up. Victors anticipate the next thing. Victors are certain that they are going to continue to move on in victory. And this is true, you know, I guess, honestly, a good example is this is most Hawkeye fans I know. It's like, okay, even if the team's down right now, they're going to win because they're victors. 
What we need to do is we need to translate that understanding of something really as innocuous as a sports team as to something that is so fundamentally much more important as how the Lord Jesus sees you, how God views you. He sees you as a victor. Do you see yourself that way? Because if we see ourselves as someone that's just laden with sin, who's never going to make impact, whose life is inconsequential, you are seeing things opposite to how the Lord sees you. How are our evidence of that? Well, just even look at the text. So as we start here in chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, he says, My beloved, my beloved, He addresses them endearingly because he has a fundamental different relationship with them because they both share in this richness in Jesus Christ. In fact, one of my more favorite translations is actually the Holman translation. I use that often. And um, I love the way it actually renders this particular part of the scripture. It says actually, not beloved, but my dear friends. My dear friends. You know, when we begin to see ourselves accurately as victor, we start interacting with one another with greater accuracy as well. We're the kind of people that can be outside of ourselves because we're not so overwhelmed with all the difficulties that we're facing just in our heart and mind today. You know what we can do? You know how victors act? Victors can just simply look around and say, hey, it's good to see you and smile. And mean it. Victors act differently. And victors view people differently. And they're able to engage with them. Even if it's something so simple, so small, as when you come into a church gathering with other believers, that you reach out to simply just encourage someone. Even if it's just with a smile. Even if it's just to say, you know, it's great to see you. And mean it from your heart. That's how victors act. But many times, many times, we seem to lose the key to that access. We know that we should be. We kind of have a sense, yeah, it should be different. You know, I, I should have, I understand all these ways I've been made rich, but I don't feel very rich. I don't really feel like I like people, and I don't feel like much of anything. And that is something that God wants to change. He wants you to help get that key back that you can access all those great things that are theologically true. Because here's the thing. If they're theologically true, but yet not practically experienced in your life, it's not much value to you. Even though it's of all the value in the world. So again, today, we're going to try to be really pragmatic here, and I hope that's okay, really practical, because I want you to see how these things are accessible to you, and how we are able to get our hands back on the keys that God has for you and for me. So let's keep going here in verse chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12, going on to verse 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, And I'd like us to look a little bit as we into this, the bigger picture of salvation, of what is being said here. You see, when this says, as you've always obeyed, 
Sometimes when people first hear this, they get, oh, I don't know, just feeling like, I don't know if that really describes me. In fact, just looking at this text right now, looking up there, you say, always obeyed. Do you say, yeah, that pretty much describes me. I just am always obedient in every way, shape, or form. Is that, is that what you think when you first read that? I think if you're a normal human being, when you read that text, you go, you know what, nah, that's, guess that's not me. So who does that actually apply to? Because I don't really feel like I always obey. And we need to understand a little bit bigger picture of salvation here so we understand what that's really talking about. And what I think what we struggle with here most, what I like to call this, is that we struggle with a spiritual birth order syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? You know how like, birth order seems to affect different people in different ways? In fact, let's just, just try to keep this, again, super pragmatic. How many of you grew up in a home where you were not the oldest, but you had older siblings? Raise your hand. Okay, so um, most of us in this room. All right. So it was not you. You were not the oldest sibling. But maybe as you grew up in that home, you recognized one thing that was different from you and your older sibling is that they were awesome and you weren't. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they, they were the ones that like, they, had the, the, they, always got, they always got the grades. They, they always got the guy or the girl. They always got the glory. And you did it, Right? And you're bitter about it, huh? <laughs> Maybe not bitter. But you listen have recognizes like, okay, yeah, I can know what you're talking about. See that they were always seem to be on the top dog, and I'm not sure really dog level where I actually ended up at. But it wasn't that. Or, or let's, let's, let's just break it down a little bit more. Let's say, um, okay, let's say it wasn't, uh, wasn't the oldest, but you're still in the family. Let's just focus a little bit on the other end of the spectrum. How many of you grew up, not only did you have an older sibling, but you had a younger sibling? Raise your hand. Okay, this is, we're talking about the classic middle child, aren't we? All right, so, so here's the thing. You had two, two things against you. Not only did you not have, were you not like Mr. Glory over here, getting all the awards and all the things the, and, and, and doing everything perfectly, but now to kind of add to your torture a little bit, you had down here, it's just like, oh, down there, your little brother, your little sister, they're so cute. Right, oh, they're so cute, or they're, 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 they're just so, so special, they're so funny, and all this. And again, where does this leave you exactly, right? Okay, so, so you recognize you're, you're not up here getting all the glory. You're not getting here and getting all the oohs and the ahs. And don't hate me, by the way, I was that youngest kid. But you're in the middle. You're in the middle. You know, and so this is sort of a, a very similar expression that we can experience inaccurately as God's kids. Because here's the deal. God doesn't have middle child kids that he views that way. Where it's just like, oh, you're not this, you're not this. That's not how the Lord views you. That's not how the Lord views me. He sees things quite differently. In fact, even my own family, I'm not sure if he's in here right now, but my middle boy, I specifically have always tried to, ever since he was young, as being squarely in the middle of our family, listen, you're not the middle kid. You are the linchpin of this family, okay? We all swing one way or the other way on you. Maybe I gave him all sorts of other pressures. I don't know. But I wanted to try to at least call up and call out. You're not just stuck in the middle of just playing. No, 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 no. You, you, are, you are of immense value and of worth. And that's how God views you as it approaches this very important subject of what does it mean then to always obey? Have you failed? 
Have you failed? Or does God actually view things differently? Have we missed out on the bigger picture of salvation? The bigger picture of salvation, on a higher theological level, in this particular portion of scripture, you can talk about that we're mentioning this idea, a comprehensive salvation, where we're talking about uh, our theological words would be justification and, and sanctification and glorification. Well, pragmatically, what does that mean when we talk about the bigness of salvation? Pragmatically, what that means is that we're talking about that ultimately what Jesus has done on your behalf and my behalf, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, which is an if, so I recognize I'm not speaking to everybody necessarily in here, but if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, even with the faith of a child, what the scriptures say, even with a mustard-sized seed of faith, that you've come to him and you said, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of grace. I, I, I need you. Then the scriptures make it clear, he saved you from the penalty of sin. But it doesn't end there. You see, God also wants to save you progressively from the power of sin that you struggle with right now. That doesn't mean that you're made perfect. In fact, let's back up a little bit here as we talk about working out your salvation. This is not about working hard to somehow earn God's approval in some way, shape, or form. That wouldn't even make any sense at all. The Apostle Paul has spent a belabrous amount of time helping us to understand that salvation is by grace we've been saved through faith. So this isn't about adding on works, but it is working out the implications of our salvation. And God wants to have you in a place where you are progressively redeemed from the power of sin that holds you down, that holds you back, that causes you to miss out on experiencing the riches that are rightly yours in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want that just to be an esoteric thought that you've been made rich. No, no. He wants you to experience those riches in a progressive manner that affect all your relationships. And it affects you at your core and your heart. He wants to continue to see you redeemed from the power of sin, even if you failed a thousand times before. He wants to see that power making a difference in your life. And then one day, you want to talk about the comprehensiveness of the bigness of salvation? He wants to deliver you completely from the presence of sin altogether. Not just the penalty, not just the power, but one day, the blessed hope that anyone that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus, you're redeemed from all of it. You have something better than you could possibly ever imagine. In fact, that's what the scriptures say. No eye has imagined what God has allowed for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to one day experience. So it's a comprehensive salvation. So let me just walk you through that real quick so make sure we don't get lost on this. Obedience, what we're saying, begins with faith. It says in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In obedient faith, if that's really the key to unlocking really all the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, you start that obedience when you start calling on the name of Jesus Christ. And when you have asked him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm in need of a savior. Whenever that point in time you started, he sees that act of faith done in obedience to him in that respect. And it is credited in which to you. 
So obedience, it begins with faith. Obedience continues on in faith. One of my very favorite verses in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. In other words, that same conviction where you understood a need for a Savior initially is the same conviction he wants to lead you with every day recognizing you need him in every facet and in every place and in every corner of your life. And then through that, he wants to be providing to you the power. He wants to be providing you the practical implications of the great riches that you have in Jesus Christ expressed in your life. In obedience, it finishes by faith. John chapter 12, verse 26, then, who says, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. What I hope you are hearing and seeing in all this is that there are individual and thereby also collective implications of this great salvation that we share in. That word they use for salvation is the word soteria, which refers to all of Christ's life that's credited to our account, but it also goes on to mean its overall health and well-being to both a person and to a group of people. Salvation's impact should be far-reaching. And so if you've trusted in Christ, I want you to understand this. So I want us to address the malady of the spiritual birth order. God sees that obedience through faith and that obedience through faith brings blessing. You see, when we lose that key, we have our own obedience that falters and we miss out on all the benefits that God has for you and for me. And that is something to fear. And that's why the scriptures tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The Greek word and the word fear there is the word phobos. Perhaps you hear the word phobia from it. It's something you should be afraid of, that you're going to lose your salvation. No, but that you're going to miss out on all the benefits that God has for you. Yes, that you're going to miss out on some of the things that the Lord would like to do through your life, but that you haven't experienced because you haven't expressed obedient faith in that. Yes, that is something to fear. That is something to be afraid of because we miss out on what otherwise should be there. When we drop that key, when we lose that key, there's much that's lost. This was years and years ago, but um, early on in my ministry, um, I lacked uh, a lot of discernment, and I'm hoping that's changing bit by bit. But this particular uh, decision back, and this would have been in the mid-90s, thought it was a great idea. We're going to go on a long uh, tubing canoe trip down a very isolated river in northern Michigan with a bunch of high schoolers and college students, okay? Even in saying that out loud right now sounds really stupid. So anyways, but that's what we were going to do, and it was part of our ministry, wanted to put into our people during that time. And back then, remember, we're talking, this was the mid-90s, so there was no cell phone coverage, right? When we were out there, we were out there. No one was going to what's at me. There just was like, what's up? What's going on? That's all there was, you know? And so we were going from one point, and we were going to end up at another point, which was miles and miles and miles away 
away. We were going to have a couple vans that we arranged to have there for us. And so the idea was start at point A, end up at point B. We're going to camp out over there and then come back. <clears throat> what could possibly go wrong? So uh, I was going down the river and going along. And of course, one thing that was, I should have recognized was wrong was maybe my choice of youth sponsors at the time. I think probably the average age was maybe 20. And so it was just a little bit older than the kids themselves. And we were going along and uh, I think one of them had a great idea. They said, you know what? When Pastor Paul comes around the bend, let's swamp him, right? And so that was, that was the plan of what was going to happen. And so the conspiracy gained steam. And um, uh, long story short, Pastor Paul came around the bend, and yes, he was completely swamped in this section of the river. Um, I, I got to give him some credit. I wasn't actually mad. We were laughing. It was very funny. It was funny to that moment when all of a sudden I started to think a thought. And the thought that I began to think was, hmm, the keys to those vans are in my pocket, and here we are wrestling around in a fairly deep, muddy, wide river. And so uh, I remember saying something profound like, stop! And uh, it was definitely heated right, right away, like, what, 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 what's wrong? And it's like, um, <clears throat> the keys to the vans are in my pocket. Big eyes. Suddenly... No one's laughing anymore because they recognize and the word passes pretty quickly. It's just like, Matt dunked Paul, the keys were in his pocket. Da, da, da. So I slowly reach faithfully into my pocket and of course I find absolutely nothing. There is no keys. And so there we are on this remote river, which is fairly wide, fairly mighty, fairly deep, and um, we really don't have a lot of options going on right now. And so uh, we say, you know, and I don't know how the sovereign economy of how the Lord works at things like this, but I just say, you know what, I think it's time we, we pray. And, and everyone seemed to agree to this idea because no one had a better idea of what to do. And so there was somber heartfelt, repentant prayers of um, youth sponsors alike going along around the river here. And so we were saying, God, we really, we really need some help here. You know, we just, just, just kind of do. Um, and, uh, you know, I definitely was praying, uh, I think, prayers of, of vengeance from the psalmist onto my youth sponsors at the time. But as we prayed, here's the thing that was just was sort of really, I don't know, what are the chances of this? If I just believed totally in chance, I should have decisively gone out and played the lottery that night because... And when they were in this very large river, very deep section, mud everywhere, someone's hands went down into the mud and they pulled out the keys. And it's just, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have the keys. Okay, so we have a plan. We're not going to die. We, we, got, we, got, we got this connected. Let's get back to us for a minute. Oftentimes in our life, we recognize we need access to that which really matters. And yet we feel like we don't. Or we feel like maybe perhaps, maybe it wasn't just us that we've gotten so busy, so distracted that we misplaced the keys. That happens. But maybe it's been because we were canoeing down our river and someone decided to swamp our boat 
right? So sinful choices made against you that were no fault of your own, but were made against you. And suddenly, you know, self keys all went flying and you don't really know where to go. Maybe that's you. God still wants to put those keys because he's good, because he's kind back in your hand so that you can get the access to what is rightfully yours, that richness of salvation. And so we're going to continue to look at that and understand that the way that that happens, that it's obedient faith. And yet we're given a little bit of a caution here. Let me just read you the caution. And I've underlined it for us because I didn't want us to miss it in this second part of the chapter in verse 13. As we work out the salvation with fear and trembling, this obedient faith, you've got to understand this. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Greek word that is used there in work is the idea of energero. And perhaps you hear the word energy in it. God wants to provide the energy for you. There's such a temptation here for us to do what I call bootstrap Christianity. It's like, okay, okay, I got it. I'll just understand. I, want to, I need to obey more. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't miss this. That to, to just to run out and say, I'm going to do more, isn't necessarily going to help you. It's got to be done in his power is how that has to happen. You know, otherwise, liken, you know, I'd liken it to this. It's sort of like a guy who says, I'm going to go cut some wood. And he grabs a chainsaw, and it's all set, and it's ready to go. And he takes the chainsaw, and he puts it on the limb, and he starts using it as a reciprocating saw. It's like, listen, buddy, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, you're just not. There's just something sad about that. Just pull the cord. If you pull the cord, you're going to have all the power that you need. And that's what the caution that's given to us here. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love the way the Holman translation puts it this way. It is God who works in you, enabling you, listen, both to desire and to work. If we don't do this, it really amounts to nothing more than bootstrap Christianity. So understand this. As we talk about obedient faith, maybe we need to invert the order here. We're going to talk about our faith that's expressed in matters of obedience. Are you following me? Okay? This, this, this is important. So as we close, we're going to look at three additional practices of how this just plays out. All right? Some examples, if you will, of an obedient faith. And we've got to understand, first of all, that every single one of these are issues of identity. This is who you are called out to be. To be those stars that shine out. God wants to see this showing up in your life. This is your right as a believer in Jesus Christ. These are the keys that God wants to put in your hand so that you can really experience all the power of salvation he has in mind. So hopefully this is tremendously just practical for you as we take this last big chunk of passage here in chapter 2. So we're going to read verses 14 through 18. I'm going to walk through a few things after that. So here we go. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. 
Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, let's tackle this. Sometimes when this is read outside of the context of everything we've just worked through, people sort of see it as a laundry list, and there's a little bit more to it. Um, You know, first of all, it starts with something pretty weighty. You can do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's like, whoa, all things. Listen, we live in Iowa. There's lots to complain about God. How do we do this? Right? The weather at least. When he talks about doing everything, this is really almost going beyond just general complaint. In fact, can we say this, that most of our trying circumstances that we face really have to do with some of the most difficult people in our lives. Amen? Right? Some of our most trying circumstances that we face have to do with the most difficult people that we have in our lives. And so what, is we, what are our options, you know? Well, one option we could say is like, okay, that's easy. I just won't talk to people anymore. <clears throat> Try that. Or we could follow the things that, that God has for us here. You see, one thing that was really rampant that was going on in the church at Philippi, which has a tendency to go on in churches all over the world in present day, is that there were quarrels in the church. There was infighting with one another. And one thing that this is trying to help measure up a bit for us to understand is that quarrels like that, choosing not to really keep the unity that God has wants to give us, really are tantamount to complaints against God himself. So this is a pretty weighty thing. And so there is some practical things here that God wants us to do before dealing with challenging circumstances or difficult people. You can think of it like this. We need to pursue something. We need to pursue a peaceful heart. We need to pursue a peaceful heart. One verse that I've been working on memorization this past uh, month comes from actually a translation I hadn't really used much before. It was called the Passion Translation. I just love the way it put this particular verse so in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, May grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Before you start trying to deal with your tough circumstances or people, make sure you're allowing that perfect peace that God wants to deliver to your heart, into your heart. As we do that, we're positioned to more effectively deal with all the stuff that's around us. Secondly, it goes on to say in verse 15, to hold fast to the word of life. Um, you know, in preparing just for some of this message is getting a chance to compare a lot of other um, notes on this, this passage. A lot of people agreed is that, you know, as important as it is, the idea of holding fast to what the Bible says in terms of the gospel, and we don't want to lose sight of that, and we want to hold on tight, we want to have sound doctrine, but it's more than just holding fast. That is part of it. The other part of it is holding forth as we hold fast. So you can think of it this way, you know, um, as important as it is not to have quarrels among us, not to be complaining about stuff, no one I ever really know of came down to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ just because you didn't quarrel, just because there wasn't differences of opinion. Now, I, I think, again, I'm not trying to minimize that. That's important. That's really important. And yet, the reality is, if Jesus is really the most important relationship in my life, Isn't he going to show up in conversations in my life 
in practical ways. He needs to. So what does that look for me if I'm going to have an obedient faith? Well, the Bible likens oftentimes the progression of someone coming to Jesus. It's almost like an agricultural example. There's a time where the ground needs to be cultivated. It needs to be kind of turned up. You need to work on the relationship there. And then there are times then that you begin to plant in words of truth, seeds of truth, of terms of who God is, what God has done for us in Christ, who we are. These are all sorts of seeds that you put into that soil before you can actually reap something. Now, sometimes this process happens very quickly with someone. Sometimes it takes years and years to someone to understand this and come to Christ. Our job in the process, we need to make sure that we are being faithful, that we plant seeds of truth. Hang on to the gospel. Yes, it's worth everything. Yes, it's what the value in consequence. It's the richest thing we have. But as you hold on fast, you hold it out as well. And so you hold it forth at the same time. Lastly, just as we finish up, verse 18 says, um, in fact, maybe I'll just even segue here a little bit, verse 16 through 18. He says, uh, likewise, you should be glad and you should rejoice with me. Um, And it goes on to talk about here how Paul, he had served them, and yet the church in Philippi had served Paul. Both of them had given to God. Both of them had. And they were both called to a mutual joy. Um, And yet in verse 18, what it says here, it says to us in verse 18 as we close up, Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Here's the deal. We need to make sure that we're providing joy to others. Even if it's just something as simple as saying, it's good to see you. And smile. I'm glad you're here. Having eyes outside ourselves Because all the riches have been given to us. We have all this stuff that is ours in Christ Jesus. He gives us access to it as we respond in an obedient faith. And so this is something we want to pursue. We're going to wrap up here in just a moment with communion. But in this message, what I hope, what I hope for you, dear friends, is that, you see, this isn't something that's complicated. This isn't complicated at all, but it does require something of us. It requires us faith. It requires obedience. And really, as we go into communion, I think what's fitting is it requires a continual repentance on our part. Remember, this isn't about perfection. If we're thinking we're going to be perfect, sorry, that ship sailed a long time ago. There was one person that did that. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of him that we can be victors. And we can stand strong before the Lord. And we can have all our relationships deeply affected by the gospel. But it requires then to recognize the places that we've been out of line saying, Lord, I've been out of line with this. Will you forgive me? And he has an answer for that. It's yes. Every time. That's why the scriptures make it so plain that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so a couple things just to give you some thought here as the band's going to play in a moment. 
If you found that you've been in areas where you've been disobedient in this respect, you know, repentance is a gift from God. So maybe it's a big idea. Maybe you just simply have not been mindful of God, of others. You've just sort of had lost track and just were distracted. That's something to repent over. Maybe, maybe you have been contentious in some places, maybe in your relationships. You know what contentiousness is? It's just Christianese for not to be a jerk, okay? So if you don't want to be contentious, say, Lord, I've realized that I've just been stirring up stuff I don't need to be. Forgive me. I want to be used by you. Or maybe you have seen in some of your relationships, you've just been ashamed to even talk about Jesus. (laughs) Maybe you've been ashamed to even admit, yeah, I go to church. Maybe you've been just kind of standoffish from that. Maybe that's something you just need to bring before the Lord and ask for his perspective on. Maybe you just simply, it's something as simple as you just have not shared joy with other people. Been sort of just locked in, kind of doing your own thing, not really caring about people around you, really kind of overwhelmed by just your own stuff. Say, Lord, I know that you want me to have eyes outside. Help me to, help me to experience that. And you know the good news is, guys? The good news is that when we repent, we shine again then. Like the stars that God likens us to be in the blackness all around us. So walk in that identity today. And as we come back and we take that communion together, enjoy what God has done in your life of who he is, what he's done and who you are in the Lord. Father, we uh, are thankful people. We thank you so much that we have so much riches given to us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the firm foundation of that which we hold and share in you. And we thank you, God, that you call us to experience progressively, Lord, as we trust you, as we obey and leave all the consequences to you. You bring us, Lord, to places that we never dreamed of. And they impacts all our relationships. We thank you, God, that you give us the key to those things. We pray that we'd be faithful, Lord, in just walking that through through the power of your spirit. And when we falter, may we be quick to admit where we faltered and quick to receive your enabling grace again. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing, God, over this people and this week ahead in Jesus' name. With a f- amen. We have a few things.